The Spartans said they were tougher. The Spartans said they would flinch. And they did. And welcome to another episode of the SD4L Show. I'm Justin Thind. I'm here with my co-host Matt Sheehan, as always. And today, joining us in his debut on the SD4L Show, we have certified ball knower Maxwell Klitsky joining us. Max, how are you doing today? Great, Justin. How are you doing? Good, good. Matt, I should ask you how you're doing today. Um, we're going to have to get into some discussion on how you spend your free time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess first I'll tee it off. Uh, how, how's your day? Wait, yeah. How are you guys doing? You guys doing okay over there? Good. Yeah, w- was just taking good. was just taking a shot at you for how you oh, should good. spend your yeah. free time. Um, yeah. For those that don't know, Matt today walked around outside at a zoo Instead of simply going on Google Images and just looking up giraffe, by myself up... too, not even with a kid or anything, just, just <laughs> by myself, just in my lonesome, just staring at the camels for two hours, not even different animals, just yeah. the same ones. Over Actually, over again. I should have picked my battles more carefully because I'm guessing like 90% of the audience is siding with Matt here. They're like, what's wrong with the <laughs> Well, zoo? it's like, the zoo, they, Justin. It's kids. a very wholesome yeah. place. Yeah, it's, this is true. it's nice. Yeah. God. I guess I kind of have extreme views on the zoo, Little Caesars Pizza. Um, the first drive through window. I don't know why they sell first drive through windows when they always say to pull to the second. Um, go to Niagara Falls, very anti Niagara Falls. I feel like you should just turn on your faucet. Um, so yeah, the pot here early on. Let's go. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> love it. So, Max, I want to start first off with why did you spend several, several days this summer watching games for last year? Um, that's really that's the question. Just go ahead intervention, and... Max. Uh, yeah, go on. yeah, yeah, you got me. Um, so basically I like looking at like a lot of advanced stats and a lot of like mm. numbers and things like that. And just going over the season, just general feeling of how people felt. I was like, I kind of always ask like, was it really as bad as we thought it was? Um, so that led me to, you know, seeing a lot of the rewatches and seeing, you know, exactly what went wrong. Right. Everybody remembers the missed field goal against Indiana. Right. You know, everybody remembers, you know, pick your thing of what you didn't like about this team and Mm -hmm. you'll be able to rattle off four or five more things after that. Um, So it's basically just like rewatching and seeing really what patterns were kind of all the same. Um, And, and really what I saw was a lot of times like this team just wasn't executing when they needed to. And the margins were just so thin Um, even with the opponents and the schedule that they had that, you know, like, just small little things just pile up and that's how you end up with a missed chip shot field goal, keeping Mm -hmm. you out of a bowl game. So that was just kind of why my rationale and plus I needed something to kill time because I'm not a baseball guy. So go to the zoo, just do, do that instead, man. Come on. I mean, it's kind of a trek from where I'm at. So it's difficult to get down there. So the iPad Mm. was right there. So, okay. Mm. Yeah, Matt, you could have done that with the Lions, just on the iPad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really good point. You know what? I'll give that a try the next time. Max, I'm just going to cut right to the chase here. What was the most alarming thing you saw in those games and something that maybe mm-hmm. you are concerned could carry over into this season? I guess it's not mutually exclusive. Those can be two different things, but what's something that really yeah. stuck out to you those games? Yeah, one of the biggest things was just our inability to be successful um, in early down situations. Um, I think we can think of a lot of times where, you know, it's first and 10, we get a drive going, we hand it off inside run between the tackles, maybe gets two to three yards if we're lucky. 
um, you know, second down, we do the same exact thing again, or maybe go outside or, or try to throw a short pass. And then we end up in, you know, third and six, third and seven, like third and five, if we're lucky. And then we're either throwing behind the line of scrimmage, you know, behind the sticks or, you know, not getting it done essentially, or trying to be cute, too cute on third and short and everything. So, right. With the addition, punch the ball away and sorry, go ahead. I cut out. Yeah, no. So I was just going to say like, you know, we, we punt the ball away and then, you know, we come back on defense and the defense, even before the injuries kind of struggled to keep, you know, people out, um, keep people behind schedule and keep people, um, you know, on their toes about what our defense was going to be. So that's how we ended up with something like the Minnesota game where we go, Mm -hmm. you know, three and out like touchdown three and out touchdown for Minnesota and that sort of thing. It kind of just snowballs and you look up and it's middle of the second quarter and you're down two to three scores. So, right. Fun times. Yeah. Great yeah, times. definitely great. I, I was watching the Penn state game um, a few days ago, um, 75 degree weather, beautiful, peaceful Sunday night. Um, just, you know, figure well, let's see what Dylan Tatum was cooking up so that <laughs> we can, we can get some excitement going for this year um just it's just some bad execution at times the team didn't look that far away like you don't look at the field and you're like oh penn state must recruit 28 slots higher than michigan state they're just so overmatched and it'll look the mm-hmm. part but like it's just little things like momentum killers missing miss bouncing a throw on like third and five when the guy like could have caught it and ran for another two yards three mm-hmm. yards um and so it's it's just stuff like that that's why like I think if you look at kind of the games on the schedule, like other than four games, there really shouldn't ever be a prevalent talent gap. And Max, I think you tweeted out today, like even the Washington game, which is one of those four, they're only one spot higher in the composite Mm -hmm. talent index. Right. So like it it really comes down to execution. And I guess also it's the talent is skewed towards the younger side for Michigan state, whereas Washington, like a lot of their guys might be older. So I understand like they're not going to look as refined with that talent, um, even if it is on the roster, like to buy Jobs and Jordan Halls of the world. It's not as ideal to have the talent index coming from them as opposed to maybe a 50 or senior quarterback. But like, I think at the end of the day, like the roster is now getting there and now you have to refine play calling, execution and development as the timeline proceeds. What is what is your take on the quarterback play? Obviously, none of us know how the quarterback is going to play, what that baseline level mm-hmm. is going to be, whether it's Noah Kim or, or Kate Hauser. But like, how hard is it going to be to get play equal to Peyton Thorns as last year, if not higher? Um, so I've kind of landed on this take in the spring, and even after he transferred, I kind of even solidified it. There could have been mm-hmm. a little bit of you know angst or salt behind him transferring and leaving, but Peyton Thorne, even the kind of the numbers paired out, he's a replacement level P five quarterback. He mm-hmm. can do some good things. He can be you know he can he can be able to you know get you some things, but he's really not going to win you games and win you points but he's not necessarily always going to hurt you i think last year he finished with like an epa per play of like 0.04 so that just kind of goes to show of like what he's adding to the offense when he's out there um and even in terms of like how we did in passing epa last year we were you know 44th in the country at like 0.08 epa per play total that's like the whole entire passing offense um, so some of Noah Kim's like bombs are factored into there too, but mm-hmm. you know, that's 0.08 and it's like 40, that's 44th in the country. 
out of 133 teams. So you kind of factor that in. It was like, mm-hmm. where does that land in the P5? It's, um, you know, middle of the pack, like average, I would say. And, okay. and I think at that point in the quarterback battle, um, I think I said it the first time that I was on with Sheehan, um, I was like, I was very concerned if we decided to roll out with Peyton Thorne again. No doubt. For the fact that we've, we've seen what he's capable of, we, we know his strengths and his weaknesses, and he really benefits from a good play-action game, mm-hmm. and we didn't have that last year. And we don't necessarily know for sure how much that running back room's improved. Um, you know, we've been saying, you know, we've kind of been tempering expectations going like, okay, Nathan Carter's not K-9 reincarnated. Like, Jeremy Magum's like, going to be good in short distance. But, mm-hmm. like, the, the, off- the rushing game may not be what it was in 2021. Right. So what does that necessarily say? And I think the guys that we have now and Kim and Hauser, they can probably bring more to the table um, in terms of mobility and in terms right. of just trying to be more of a pure passer and not really relying on that play action game to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it won't be really that difficult to make a, to make a long answer short. I don't think it would be difficult to kind of re- move, replace and move on from Peyton Thorne. Right. I think with either guy, you have strengths and weaknesses, both short-term and long-term. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we'll see improved quarterback play in 2023 compared right. to 2022. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I know I've taken a bit of a, of a stance on kind of Peyton Thorne's like departure after he left. And um, I've said, I guess on the message boards, I'm not entirely concerned or fixated on like whether he does well or not. I'm not really um, going to be sitting there on Saturdays rooting for him per se. Um, but at the same time, people have to remember like last year when I was writing for the athletic, I was adamant that benching him was not like a solution. Maybe I was wrong, um, but I, I, at the moment, I was thinking like on a list of all the problems that the team has. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Peyton Thorne is necessarily at the top of that list of why yeah. things are going bad. So like I was, I was in the boat of pretty much defend Peyton Thorne until I started rewatching some of the games this year, this this summer. But like even after kind of defending him and being in that boat, like I'm not even remotely concerned at. I mean, I guess there's a possibility that like Noah Kim goes out there and he's horrible. But like, if that's the case, then like Kate Hausen could go out there and probably give you a C plus big 10 starting level or vice versa. If the other mm-hmm. one goes out first. So like at the end of the day, like I think out of those two guys, one of them have to hit at like a C plus big 10 starting quarterback level. So Matt, I don't know if you have any, anything you want to add. We talked about the QB battle a couple episodes ago, but like, is that kind of where your head is at too? It, it is. And I also want to offer a question to both of you fine gentlemen here. Am I a coward or am yes. I being well? That's okay. Like, yeah, the broad sense, yes, I yeah. am. But like for this specific <laughs> instance, am I a coward or am I being rational? If they just have an okay game against Central Michigan, and by they I mean Noah Kim, Kaden Hauser, the guys that are taking over at quarterback, if they just have like I don't know, just just a C plus game, let's just use that letter grade that you gave, like a five out of ten. I'm not going to panic. Is that is that acceptable? Because I know that we all have to overreact after a week one game, but odd circumstances, right? I mean, these guys could be splitting time early on. First game jitters. Uh, you have a rotating cast of receivers that yeah. can grow up to seven or eight targets. And also, let's give some credit to the chips here. Yes, I know they're a group of five team. I can hear the Wolverines laughing right now. But really, guys, Dante Kent, Bronco Nagurski watch list guy. He's going to, I don't know about shut down the side of the field, but he is certainly a presence mm-hmm. on the side of a field. This is a secondary that had a top 25 pass breakup number of 55 pass breakups, right? They returned 45 of those with this unit. 
it's a, as almost as strong of a defense as you can get in a group of five, especially in the secondary. So if they just have an okay game, I, am, I, am I a coward for not like, you know, punching the table and driving my head through drywall saying, Oh my God, the season's over. Or, like, I don't know. Like I'll, I'll, I'll give it two, three games before I really cast judgment right. and start panicking. Fair or foul? I, I don't. I, I just Max, I'll let, Max, I'll let you go yeah. first. Um, I think part of it's fair just because I think it personally, my concerns about MSU's ability to run the ball with the new stable running backs that they have, how they're able to run the ball against Central will say mm-hmm. more about the ceiling and yes. kind of how this team right. goes for the rest of the season. Um, just looking at last year, Central was about in the 50s in every kind of EPA metric against the pass and then in success rate. So it's, you know, are you getting 50% of your yards on first down, um, you know, the remaining 70 on second down? And are you converting those third downs and those fourth downs? They were in the 70s in that rate. Um, so like you said, Sheehan, like there, it's a it's not like a pushover pass defense by any means. Right. So you could see a first year, a true like first year quarterback, you know, in terms of being, a, being the guy and starting um, and even splitting time, you don't necessarily expect him to light the world on fire. It's um, my, my biggest concern. I think it's fair just because I think MSU's success running the ball. If they're not, if they're not able to be successful against this rush defense, then I don't, I don't necessarily know how this season's going to go. Right. I, I 100% agree with you because look, a lot about their run defense can be same about can be said about their pass defense too. They have a really strong front. They were top 5 in the country at stuff rate, top 15 mm-hmm. in opportunity rate. They only really lost one guy in that front. So it's like, "Oh, well Sheehan, why do you give the quarterbacks a pass but not the running backs?" I, it's just more you know, it's, or not more, it's actually less of the outside factors. You do have a lot of returners on the offensive line. I mean, running back mm-hmm. seems like a more straightforward position than quarterback as well. Not to, you know, say running back is the easiest job in the world as 280-pound guys are trying to rip your face off. But, I mean, yeah, that's going to be where the identity has to be for Michigan State this year is in the ground game. And if you can't do it against right. Central, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. That might be a long right. season for you coming yeah. down the pike here. Def- yeah. Definitely agree. I think um, – even though you do have newcomers at the running back position, they're not necessarily like new to the game. It's not like a right. Kim or Kate Hauser, like yeah. Nathan Carter led the NCAA in, in rushing yards after contact by the time he got hurt in week four last year. Jern Mangum, he's had a billion touchdowns in his in his NCAA career. Jalen yeah. Burgers in, in year year three of of playing. So you have running backs that should not need a grace period to get adjusted at this level. They might have some, I guess chemistry issues with the offensive line and whatnot but like the offensive line should be able to get a push they're returning guys so i think you put it perfectly like their run defense is is not like uh, is not lackadaisical it's not like a total joke but like at the same time like the quarterbacks have more settling in to do and especially with the the wide receiver cast around them so like for me the way i kind of look at it is like for the pass offense it's like almost like another scrimmage but like for the run offense and for the entire defense, it's like you have to go out there and, and assert yourself from from the beginning of this game. Um, like especially the run defense, like you know that you are the kind of the stalwarts of this entire team. Um, I think they should be good as a pass rushing unit. But like if you really boil down like the the different molds and archetypes of like these defensive linemen, like 
both of the defensive ends, like Zion Young and Chris Bogle, like they're more like strong side defensive end, both of them, like even if they're playing on the same side and like they're, they're built more of like the strong and, and powerful, not necessarily the quick twitch and, and get the pressure on the quarterback, unless they're like crumbling the pocket with like a high side rush type of thing. So like you have to have a really good run defensive performance in this game. Um, and then, and then kind of go from there. And I know that, um, the the chips they obviously have a new quarterback situation as well they have redshirt sophomore jace bauer or redshirt freshman bert emmanuel jr now jace bauer scares me just because his name is very close to jack bauer uh, the character from <laughs> not Frank good bauer. right yeah that's yeah, concerning. Yeah. right for sure so like that's the only analysis i have on him but that's not very good so like that that's terrifying um but then yeah also like at running back they, they have a couple guys there they have marion lukes they have miles bailey so they are going to be um, replacing Lou Nichols, obviously. So, like, there's some instability there in their offense that the defense just has to come out and play hard. And then, um, the like I said, the the, pa- the running offense as well. And then passing offense, I, I just hope they get some some good gelling uh, time in this game. Yeah, the number one thing that you can panic about is if this defensive, fr- defensive front doesn't alter the game drastically against mm-hmm. Central Michigan. It's an offensive line. I think they were 81st in sack rate last year in the nation. And usually, hey, Central's a pretty good offensive line unit. I mean, they have brought many offensive linemen to the NFL. Needless to say, it was not the same case last year. So they have a new position coach, but is it going to be enough time to gel with the somewhat u- new unit they have to replace two interior offensive line? But yeah, like, hey, if this defensive front for Michigan State is going to be the strength we all think it is, you got to see that week one immediately. So if they're not rushing the passer, if they're not holding CMU to, we'll call it less than 3.3 yards per carry is the number I'll just throw off the top of my head right now. Like, maybe you can, you know, look around and be like, oh, <laughs> oh no, what is our strength then? But mm-hmm. again, that, that's that's one thing that we can overreact with. I don't want to, certainly not looking to do this, but it's on the menu. It's mm-hmm. on the menu. Yeah. Max, I don't know if you had any sort of assertions or assessments after you went through last year's tape, but like one overarching question that I always get hit with anytime I put out, like whether it's a depth chart, whether it's a DB, like position group preview, whether it's like even like season one loss records, mm-hmm. it's they're saying like, oh, they got to get rid of the four two five, or they got to stop playing relax. The way I kind of look at it is like, it doesn't have as much to do to do with like what scheme they're choosing to play. It's more so like the execution of it that I put fault on. Like, for example, somebody tweeted at me the other day and they said, um, we can't have the corners playing nine yards off the line of scrimmage. But I look at like the Maryland game, for example, where like Scotty kind of almost saw the same thing after the Washington game. And then in both like the Minnesota game, the Maryland game, a few others, he put them at the line. And then you're seeing Amir Speed get absolutely dusted at the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage and giving up an 18-yard completion instead of a 12-yard completion. So, like, if your guys cannot read and react nine yards deep, they're going to get cooked even more if you put them at the line. Mm-hmm. So that was my assessment. Maybe I only have selective memory of watching those two games and seeing pressing didn't work. So I was going to run that by you. What is your take on how much of the issue was scheme versus execution of the scheme? And what would you like to see Michigan State do this upcoming season in terms of an alignment or scheme standpoint if you were choosing to kind of run things? Yeah, I would definitely say, like, again, football is a very simple game that people make very complicated. It's it's about blocking and tackling and about being better than the guy against you. It's, you know, the whole Jimmys and Joes and mm-hmm. then it's better than X's and O's. And, and we saw issues where um, – guys for whatever reason i don't know if it was you know in practice teaching or or whatever you know schemes that have been set in place 
forever. You know, it's the stuff that Harlan Barnett's like preaching and everything. That stuff's been around forever and it's been successful. And the 425, even the various iterations of it have been successful other places. Um, it's not necessarily like a scheme issue. Um, I definitely think there was a lot of, you know, execution issues and maybe some of that comes down to the techniques that are the main focus in practice. You Mm -hmm. know, it could be, you know, we're focusing on the wrong things. And I think we saw somewhat of a change or at least an interesting thing that we noticed was in a lot of practices, you know, players, especially the skill position guys, and even some of the other DBs, they had the uh, red mesh on their hips and I think somebody asked, you know, either it was either you or Stephen Brooks or Corey Robinson from 24-7, like, what, what are those for? Like, we keep seeing them, like, is that signify a certain thing? And it was mm-hmm. to help the DBs train their eyes to be focused on, on the hips and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we we're just caught on the wrong thing fundamentally at times. Right. And it's, it's really easy, you know, these these coaches and everything, and even the players, they're not, they're not stupid. They've been in this mm-hmm. game for decades so right but anytime anytime somebody gets that level of experience and been doing something for that long right. they get really wonky and they focus on you know the minute of minute details yeah and you start to lose the forest and the trees right um, at that point um you know yeah everything's you're coaching perfection for everything um but sometimes you know perfection can be the enemy of good a lot of times too yeah and 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 like personally it's not that i'm i'm looking to absolve like scotty hazelton like Mm -hmm. i think you can place blame on him for several things for example like in that ohio state game um i think it was the third touchdown if one cornerback is playing banjo coverage and the other is looking for a switch release like that should not happen like that's that's communication that's coaching like that shouldn't happen but like scheme was not like where I came down on there being an issue. Like, first of all, people were wrong for saying he didn't make any adjustments. He, they played, they played the four, two, five. I think they played the three, three, five, a couple of times. They played the three, four against Maryland. They played the four, three, a lot of times against teams that did not have more of a, of a pass oriented rush, especially late in the year too. Yes. With injuries and stuff. You got really, you got really beefy and went more four, three. And that's why we saw more of Aaron Brule. Yeah. And we would see him flash and it'd be like, right. why he's, you know, he was one of those guys that we were kind of pointing to and being right. like, why hasn't he played more in that sense? Right. It's because like, well, with the way we were aligned, it wasn't always conducive to have him out there. Right. So, right. Yeah. So the way I kind of look at it is like, yeah, if, if, if you want to, if you want to get on the coaches, that's fine. I think there's a lot of justifiable stuff. Like what I was saying, like one guy playing banjo coverage, the other looking for a switch release, but like you should not, just be like oh well if scotty would simply press um they'd suddenly be like doing much better on defense like the man has coached defense for for Mm -hmm. many times for many years if all he had to do was move up the corners seven or eight yards and suddenly the defense would be much better he would have done that i I guarantee Mm -hmm. you that he is not looking to to have such a simple thing ignored out of stubbornness so that the team can continue to get shredded. So like right. the, the, the coaching staff needed to be better in, in several ways, maybe teaching, maybe in practice, but like it's not because it didn't make adjustments. It's not because the scheme as a whole is faulty. Like the Buffalo Bills, Jim Salgado, like their number one tendency on third and intermediate last year, I should say two years ago, according to PFF, was cover three quarters, 
or cover four quarter, sorry, and sitting back and uplifting. Bail, yeah. Right, exactly. Like the, the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles with Jonathan Gannon's defense and this year with Sean Desai's defense and Vic Fangio, who was their consultant last year. All three of those guys teach the exact same thing. So like that defense works and it's becoming more popular across all levels of football because you can have quarterbacks that are not highly skilled, make mistakes over the course of eight, nine pass attempts on a drive, mm-hmm. whereas you let them hit four, four big plays behind you where especially at the college level, these guys are not going to go ahead and consistently drive down the field on you if you're right. executing your screen properly. So I really like the scheme. I don't think there was an issue with the scheme, but like the execution is where probably there were issues. But mm-hmm. Matt, yeah, I haven't that- let you talk in a while, but... Or sorry, go no, ahead, Max. If you have any- you're, no, no Matt, go incredible ahead. Stuff. So, like, I mean, look, pressing if you are not athletically gifted as the guy across from you, that, that can get really dicey really quick. And someone I had on my show, I Locked on Spartans, not to plug that one, but there you go. Uh, Chase <laughs> Glasser of Spartans Illustrated, he, I mean, he gave us the best comparison because this topic came up. How about the 2020 MSU-Michigan game? All right, when Ricky White is just torching over and over. And over and over and over again, Michigan's cornerbacks, because, well, he was more athletically gifted than their cornerbacks and put them on a shish kebab skewer. <laughs> That's what can happen if you press and you don't have the dogs to do so. Right. So I, I think that maybe Hazleton uh, isn't pressing because he knows that, well, he's, you think this is a little rough right now? It could get even worse. So I, I think that, yes, he has tried different things. I think there were two back-to-back games last year where, it seemed like he never blitzed. I think it was maybe the Minnesota game. And then the very next game, blitzing, I swear, two of every three <laughs> plays. And neither really necessarily worked. It's, and it wasn't for lack of trying to lack for adjustments. So, yes, yeah. look, I, as a diehard Michigan State fan, I, I'm ready to pound my head through a brick wall if I see the secondary struggle like this one more year. I'm not thrilled with everything that's been happening. But I, I can at least throw the guy a bone and say, they've been trying. Yeah, I don't know if it makes it better. But it doesn't make it better. But like, I mean, it's 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 misguided anger. If if it's right. just like, oh, they're not trying this, not trying that. It's like, oh, well, because it'd be beyond catastrophic. Uh, right, if that's how it went. Yeah, just because the results the same doesn't mean that you know the process to get to the right. result is the same. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, and, and Space Coyote, who I think everyone knows, like he he's oh, yeah. a Michigan guy, also a rocket scientist. Um, so so smarter than I. He he said that like. He both coordinators, offense and defense. He said that um, he's he wasn't actually a fan of. I think he said Jays, and then for Scotty, he didn't really give his own opinion on there. But he said, I will say one thing about both of those guys. He said they got unfair criticism beyond belief last year in terms of not trying anything new or, or things of that nature. Um, I think that at the end of the day, this year we'll see. Um, I think they have enough mm-hmm. talent in the front seven to sustain having a young defensive backfield. But I think like last year, it was like tons and tons of stuff going wrong. And you cannot be saying the sentiment louder of, oh, it's just because they were playing back as opposed to like any other element that was out there in the mix for whether or bad. So I think, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up like like last year and kind of the pressure expectations coming into this year for for Scotty. But um, any takes for the Central Michigan game? Like, I don't I don't think we're doing predictions. I mean, I guess we can do predictions if, if you guys want to. But sure. Um, OK, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Why Matt. not? Now, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. So if, if you want me to go straight gambling here, uh, my best bet is the under of 45-and-a-half. I did predict it, 28-17. to 17, So we are we are getting under there by a half point. Mm. Like We are really cutting it close here. But I just think that both offenses have their limitations, both breaking in new quarterbacks. I mean, the receiver room for Michigan State is just as much of a mystery as it is for Central Michigan. Both defenses 
that's where their strengths lie. So I, I, I think it'll be a slog. 28-17, I think it'll be a late Central Michigan touchdown. One of those games where you never really feel like MSU is in danger, but, boy, you do look at the scoreboard and you're like, ah, would, would like that to have been a bigger number. But, oh, well, that's what we got here. On to Richmond. <laughs> Max? Um, yeah, so I was kind of looking around to see, you know, who had this game at what. You know, the line's like minus 14 and a half. Some places it shifted down to 14. Um, Bill Connolly from ESPN, he puts, mm-hmm. he does the S- SP plus rankings. Yeah. Um, he put out, you know, he expected a 34 11 Michigan win, which would yeah. be Michigan State, um, Max. Michigan sorry, State. Michigan, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm going through my notes quickly here. Apologies. <laughs> so, you know, t- winning by 23 sounds pretty good. Obviously, you don't hate that. Um, you know, Sanger and rankings have us winning by about 16 points. And then uh, Parker Fleming, uh, he's mm. at Stats War. He's the one that puts out. Uh, every Tuesday, the really in-depth, you know, advanced analytic previews. Uh, right. Those are super informative, not only like to see how good teams are at being efficient and EPA per play, but right. kind of their play style and how they play, you know, how much they rely on being explosive or if they can sustain, you know, long drives and things like that. He has us by 12. I'm kind of just for the sheer fact of like, vibes and feeling good about the rest of the season right you have to put up points you have to cover you know whether that's you know lining up and saying okay our offensive line will run through your offensive line because we're just straight up better than you Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that michigan state really has to flex these first two weeks is like hey we are we are more talented. We are better prepared than you are. So we're just going to do what we want to do and not let whatever you think you can do game plan wise dictate what we do. Right. Um, I think we've seen the past couple of years, they want to establish the run and everything. But again, we don't know exactly what that identity for this team is. Mm-hmm. You know, do we are we this big? you know, explosive passing team like we showed at times in 2021 and, and our only really success on offense in 2022. Um, Or are we kind of more that, that Michigan um, old school, Michigan state Le'Veon Bell year Mm -hmm. era where we're just going to run right through you. Right. Um, I do think they, I do think that Jay tries to play with some of the, the tools that he has and some of the guys, like I can definitely see, you know, Alante Brown getting run, mm. even in the run game, whether you're you're using him kind of in that Jay Reed type where you're you're getting a motion across and, and running jet sweeps, hopefully not to the near side of the field, because um, <laughs> I think all Michigan State fans will keel over if they see that, even if it does work. Um, but for the sheer fact of like vibes and everything, you have to blow Central out and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, make it no doubt. Um, I guess to me, one of the things I notice. Um, I didn't really do a whole game rewatch, but I kind of watched like the first half of the Western game. Uh, I even remembered tweeting it out like that Western game in 2022 felt like 2018 to 2021 compressed into like a single game with all the stuff and all the shenanigans that we had on. You know, we looked really good, looked really explosive, but then we just kept letting Western hang around. Then they got a big play touchdown. Then we couldn't move the ball and that sort of thing. So it's got to be like a no doubt we're better than this team kind of feeling like we've had in 2021 when Kenneth Walker scored four right. touchdowns, yeah. you know, against Northwestern off the jump. So, right. I, yeah, definitely agree with everything you said there, Max. Um, 
I've seen I've seen some of those numbers too. Um, I referenced this site that kind of has a prediction median, prediction mean of of a, I think an ensemble of about fifteen different uh, metric predicting uh, betting site sort of sort of things. They are looking at about Michigan State at fourteen point eight. Um, the line I believe at DraftKings is still fourteen point five. So like line seems to be right about right around there. Um, I, I think personally. I think just like Kenneth Walker is kind of undervalued by Vegas. I think similarly to along those lines, I think Michigan State might be able to get some early value here in mm-hmm. some of these spreads with, with what Nathan Carter would bring. I think if I, if you had to tell me to create a parlay that you think can actually hit, but is also edgy in terms of from an odds perspective, I don't know if this will be offered, um, at least from the player props perspective, but I'd probably take like Michigan State alt line minus 16 and a half. Um, Nathan Carter touchdown anytime. Uh, Jared Mangum touchdown anytime. Malik Carr over on his receiving line. I know Matt, we were talking about that earlier today. You had that as well. <laughs> yeah. So like, get I, him going early. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at like, yeah, I'm looking at 34-17 Michigan State. Um, I think both quarterbacks get in. I think both quarterbacks each have a passing touchdown, and I think Nathan Carter or Jared Mangum have touchdowns. Malik Carr has a good game. That's where I'm looking at 34-17. Could be completely off. Maybe they win 21-6, mm-hmm. um, but like who knows? But I think uh, that's kind of where I would be content to see a performance from them as. And um, any final thoughts here before we wrap this up? Just just win. Just get the money line win. I, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, for me and like the, like the Richmond game, this game only can identify red flags. It mm-hmm. can't say – right this is the, like, we're a plus, you know, performing run team. We're a plus yeah. pass defense team. Yeah. Kicking though, kicking those, the only green flag that you can come away with. That's it. Yes. That's, I just, want, just, just wanted to scoot that in there really quick. I just yeah. want Jonathan Kim just touchbacks. Kicking. Right. Yeah. I don't want to return to kick. There will be a lot of touchbacks this year. Lots and lots of touchbacks. Yeah. And then Ryan Eckley, let's see if you can pin one inside of the 10 this game. Or if he can completely stay off the field altogether. I, yeah, realistically, I really hope we don't need to use him at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, I think with that, that kind of wraps up this week's episode of the SC for All Show. Max, we appreciate you joining. Love the insight. Love, love yep. the work that you're doing with all the analysis. Big fan of the tweets you're putting out these days, too. So definitely go give Max a follow. It's his first name, last name that you see right there on the screen. Mm-hmm. No space in between. Um, you obviously see him like when we tweet out this episode. Matt, hopefully you get some time to go to the zoo here before today and kick off. Um, uh, Friday will be a zoo in East Lansing, baby. So that's oh, that's all go. I need. God, I yep. cannot wait. Oh, cannot, cannot wait electric. to walk into Barrio at like 135 minutes before kickoff. <laughs> Just get that crack sauce, get ready to ready to hop into the stadium. But appreciate you guys joining. Appreciate everyone that was watching live. Um, hopefully you guys do that more often here in the future. This is our first live episode on YouTube, but we're going to be doing these more often as we're figuring this out and um, appreciate everyone for tuning in. This is going to be the last show before this week's game, but uh, we'll probably have something either Saturday morning, maybe Sunday morning, maybe Saturday night. Um, but yeah, so appreciate everyone that was tuning in and uh, hopefully the game's something good to talk about. So appreciate you guys.